What's going on, everybody? I'm EA Green, the CEO and owner of the Open Media Agency. And we're here for another episode of Flatten the Curve, Strengthen the Black Dollar. You know, where we're having different conversations with different leaders in the business space, entrepreneurial space, in the municipality space, and just to really kind of have some conversation about how we as a black community can move forward in order to make sure that we don't go through something like COVID-19 again. So today, who I have here is I have Miss Lauren Miller, the CEO of LR Miller & Co. Uh, essentially, Miss Miller is a powerhouse, to say the least. You know, she has a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of family history, a wealth of just dynamics that, you know, you guys will see and that will just radiate throughout the rest of this conversation. So what's going on, Lauren? What's up? Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for, for taking the time out of your busy schedule. You yeah. Know, <laughs> uh, you know, even with the, the height of a pandemic, you know, you seem to not be able to stay put, you know? Yeah. And there, you know, you there's, know. There's, there's a little, you know, if you get it, you get it. <laughs> right. Right. But, uh, you know, I want to thank you for coming out here today. But I uh, kind of want to get straight into it. So why we ask you to come in is that you have a very strong uh, conversation or a very strong story in regards to legacy. Mm-hmm. Right. So before we kind of really get into that, can you let everybody know a little bit more about yourself and how you kind of get to this point here today? Sure. So I am a fifth generation entrepreneur second generation business owner. I'm a storyteller, media personality. um, And I have been an entrepreneur, I guess, for the last seven years. Um, I will also say that I am a steward of my family's legacy that stretches over 150 years of ownership and entrepreneurship. So, yeah, that's, you know, it's a mouthful. We're going to dive a little deep, but um, that's kind of high level of who I am and what I do. Right. I understand. So, you know, we kind of I like to kind of start back. Right. Mm-hmm. And kind of like work our way up forward. So when it comes to legacy, one of the first things you mentioned is essentially your family history of like 150 years mm-hmm. of entrepreneurship and equity. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit more about like where the roots of you know your family history kind of comes from mm-hmm. to and then how it almost translate into like how you move day to day? Mm hmm. So I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia, but my roots are in Southwest Georgia um, and my family's history is in agriculture and farming. And so for the last century or more, um, my family has been in the farming business. And so that has kind of set the foundation for ownership and equity and kind of planting that seed such that every generation understands the value of entrepreneurship. But also understand that pharma is probably one of the hardest businesses out there. So there is a very um, strong understanding of hard work. Right. You know, with me saying I'm a fifth generation entrepreneur or second generation business owner, you know, this ain't no trust fund type of situation. You know, we got to put in the work. You know what I mean? And so a part of what I'm doing is, you know, sharing my story with more people because I feel like it's hard to aspire to to create something if you've never seen it before. Right. And, you know, one of the privileges that I recognize is my family's lineage and history. Um, and that's why, you know, I'm sharing and talking more about it. Right. 
So, you know, we're going to kind of explain, right? And you'll, people will see the, the, the connection between, you know, your, your family history and to what you do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but how has the, like I said, the farming piece, like how, like, like how have you kind of been ingrained into that, mm-hmm. right? And essentially kind of how it got you to catapult yourself to creating your own entrepreneurial endeavor. Mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, I was raised in Atlanta. I wasn't raised on the farm. However, I spent every summer, holidays, the whole nine. And I would say, you know, the last four years of my father's life, when we went through succession planning, there was a drill down on who we are and where we come from. Right. And so when I think about what the farm means to me, when I go back, you know, I'm walking the same dirt roads as my father, of his father, of his mom. of his, And so there is a sense of power or empowerment that I get because when you think about farming, it's like it doesn't rain every every year. You know what right. I mean? But and you may not have nothing at harvest. Right. And so there are experiences that my ancestors may not have had that I get to have in my life. Right. So I'm always constantly grateful because I am still benefiting in some shape or form from the sacrifices that my great great grandfather made over a century ago. Right. right? And so there is this inherited responsibility that I have. But also there is also understanding of what comes with ownership. Right. There's a lot of sacrifice um, and hard work. But, you know, one of the things for me, I've never worked for anybody outside of myself or family my whole professional career. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. So that's a privilege in itself. Right. You know what I mean? So I've never, my value has never been questioned. I've never had microaggression issues. I've never felt like I wasn't included. Right. Um, and as I get older, you know, as a 32 year old woman, you start to realize like, you know, that's a big deal. Right. You know what I mean? And that doesn't mean, you know, we're the riches or anything like that, but it's like providing that opportunity and space for, you know, your family to third, I mean, to flourish and to expand their minds within the confines of being black yeah. and showing up in your blackness every single day. And so for me, I always know I was going to be an entrepreneur. You know, I never saw my father work for anybody in my lifetime Although he did, you know, work for people, but when he had me, he was an entrepreneur. And so he oftentimes, you know, some of his sayings are like, you know, don't ever get comfortable signing the back of checks. You want to sign the front. Right. And that was something that he drilled down since I was a kid. Right. You know what I mean? So to kind of pay, piggyback off of that, that signing the front of checks, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, you oh, went, you know, went to college, right? Mm-hmm. You went to Howard. And from my understanding, right, you decided to to jump in the pool of entrepreneurship yourself. Mm-hmm. So kind of walk us through the like what kind of gave you that spark and that that moment to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go out on my own to attempt to build my own thing. Right? Mm-hmm. So I think for me, um, I kind of got to a point where I really wanted to be doing what God put me on earth to do. And so at the time. Like I said, I was working for my uncle out in California and I was, you know, in hospitality. I was an event marketing manager and I loved it. You know, it was a good job. But I also felt like, 
you know, Sally, John, Paul could come and do this job. And I want to feel like what I was doing, nobody else could do because this was specific to me. And so there was a lot of, you know, soul searching, a lot of processing, a lot of prayers. I said a specific prayer uh, for God to reveal to me my purpose. And I promised him that I would run 100 miles per hour towards it. Um, and, you know, through that process of, you know, quitting my job, you know, God really working with me to get into total alignment. And so there's always been this sense of fearlessness that I had. But I think that's because of how I was raised. Right. right? And what I saw and understanding that, you know, there's tremendous sacrifice that comes with it. But the impact that you stand to make is greater. Right. So one thing I want to kind of call out is that there are, you know, the millennial generation, there are there's a, a good population of people who are potentially second generation mm-hmm. or beyond business owners, mm-hmm. right? There's a family business mm-hmm. to, to be, to be frank. Mm-hmm. And you see that there's a lot of things where they may not necessarily want to do it, right? Mm-hmm. They want to find their own thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I guess in that perspective of knowing that there's this farming legacy, mm-hmm. what made you decide to not go that route, right? Mm-hmm. And to attempt to move into a different direction, which is what was at that point called can't stay put. Right. So let me back up a little bit because, uh, like I said, I wasn't raised on the farm. And so when my father left the farm to go to Morehouse, he took those same principles and ideals of, you know, ownership and started his own business. Mm -hmm. And so the breakdown became like, you know, my father started his consulting business the year before I was born. And so Although I had worked for him, you know, like I was getting paid my age as my hourly rate. And so I had, you know, done little stuff my whole life, but I had never intended on playing a major role in the business. My older brother has kind of been positioned like, you know, that was his thing. Groomed groomed into that, you know, from college. And so um, it didn't really resonate, you know, but I also knew it's like my dad's entrepreneur. Like I'm going to do, you know, he raised me to be an entrepreneur. So, you know, when... For me, it wasn't necessarily like, I don't want to do the family business. It was more so like you raised me to create, you know, you know, the next iteration of what my generation or what I want to do. Um, and so that's really what it was. It wasn't a matter of like, I don't want to do it. It was just like, like, I need to add to the pot. You okay. know what I mean? And I don't think like the the true understanding of what family business and securing it and continuing it, that didn't really necessarily click for me until my father got sick. Right. All right. So, you know, basically we've got a chance to meet, you know, we've known each other for a little over a year Mm -hmm. and you um, essentially, that is like a a big portion of your story, right? Mm -hmm. It's a a big pivotal moment, Mm -hmm. right? Where, you know, you were doing your own thing, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, with Kent State Put, which is, you know, kind of like a travel-based, lifestyle-based company. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you received a phone call mm-hmm. that your your father wasn't doing well. Mm-hmm. So kind of take us through that in terms of the gravity of that situation and mm-hmm. what you were then tasked to do. Mm-hmm. So I think at the time, like you mentioned, like I launched Kent State Put in 2013. So I probably had a good two years of like, you know, very much investing, like, you know, zeroed in focused before, you know, you know, I found that my father was sick and then it became like, 
you know, I didn't really understand the magnitude at the beginning, right? Because right. I'm like, okay, you know, like we can deal with this. And then the reality was, it's like, no, this is a terminal situation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We don't know. It's not like, you know, you have two weeks, but it's like, you know, this is, you know, what we're facing. And for me, like my dad's ass was, you know, Lauren, I need for you to help me live as long as possible to secure my legacy and get you and your siblings ready for me not to be here. Wow. So, I mean, I feel like that's a very, very heavy thing, right? And there's Especially at 26, 27. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> there's a, a sense of like the, the, the seriousness of the ask, right? Mm-hmm. Because... I'm assuming he didn't hold back. He was, it was like, this is very clear mm-hmm. and I have to move the emotions aside, mm-hmm. right? Because this is what is important. Mm-hmm. All right. So again, we kind of talked about earlier in terms of how you, how there are, like I said, people who are now inheriting businesses, mm-hmm. you know, kind of take us through the, the moment where, you know, kind of like, in the beginning of when you were essentially helping your father to mm-hmm. kind of secure his legacy mm-hmm. to when you essentially were bought in and you were like all in on it. Mm-hmm. So I say it, it took a while. You know what I mean? I think, you know, at 26, 27, you're looking out for yourself as best interest. I was entrepreneur. I thought I was this and that. And so there was a period where I was kind of repelling, you know, from the situation or, you know, not in line, if you will. And then, you know, over time, I realized that Lauren, like, no, this is serious. Right. And then there's also so much power in this. Like you're going through succession planning as a black woman with a black father. You know what I mean? You think about how many stories do you hear about that? So when you start to realize how unique your situation is and also how powerful that is, it's just like, yo, like I'm tripping. You know what I mean? And so I think. The emotional part, like you said, is like having to put your emotions aside is like that was a very difficult thing, because although we are going through succession planning, although there is a transfer of knowledge and family history and learning about the business, my father is still dying. So there is a piece of like through all of this, that's still in your face, but you kind of like can't really soak in it. There's no space, really, because we're up against the clock. Right. Only God knows when he was going to call my father home. And so, but we never knew when that was necessarily going to happen. And so there wasn't really a space to kind of wallow in the health aspect. You know what I mean? Um, And so, like I said, it took a while for me to really get on board. And, you know, there was some, um, you know, some friction around like me having to not stop Can't Stay Put, but Can't Stay Put was no longer my main priority anymore. And that was a hard pill to swallow. Um, and so once I, you know, kind of came to the realization, like, this is what it is. Because my father would say, like, baby, it won't be long. It won't be long. Just stay with, just stick with your daddy. It won't be long. And it's, you know, like, as I think about it now, it's just like, it's just so crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think that once I realized that, like, Lauren, you know, God willing, you're going to live to at least 70, 75. Right. This is only a snapshot of your full life. Right. So get in line. Right. So, I mean, do you believe that it was the, the relationship that you had with your father? Or is, was it specifically the circumstances that 
kind of like snap you into place or do you feel like that maybe I think you would you would have maybe stared into that direction anyway I think it was the relationship um you know like my when I was raised like I lived with my father growing up my mom um, lived in DC and I used to, they used to ping pong me back and forth. I started flying by myself at five, which stems back to the can't stay put part. But, you know, my father raised me the day in a day out parent. So of course, naturally, like, you know, yeah. daddy's girl through and through, you know what I mean? So it wasn't, um, it wasn't, surprising that, you know, I was the one that, you know, came back, but also because I had chose entrepreneurship, I was in a space to where I could be his right hand, right? I have younger siblings in college and high school and older siblings that, you know, married family. And so it was like, you have been chosen for this, you know, doesn't mean that, you know, my siblings don't have a responsibility because we all do. And, you know, continuing the legacy, but the one that's going to be the glue to like be the right hand that was, me. And it took me a while to swallow that pill too, because I just assumed that, you know, I'm not the oldest, you know what I mean? And so, but you realize that age doesn't necessarily mean that whether you're a leader or not, like if you're chosen, you're chosen. Um, And so, like I mentioned, I never really thought about the family business as a way to, you know, as my career. But as I started to spend more time with my father and I recognized like, the actual work that we do, right. like, has a major impact. It's not sexy, but when you, when I started to learn more about it, I was like, yo, like, this is like, this has changed people's lives, you yeah. know, changed the black community. And I, I got to really learn about what my father's mission was, what stems back to how he was raised on the farm. Right. You know what I mean? And so it became more like, less about like, ooh, this is not my you know, dream and gold or whatever, it became more about like, this is legacy. This is community. This is advancing people that look like me. Um, And so for him, it was like, you know, Lauren, like I raised you to be entrepreneur. So I know, you know, you're going to always want to do your own thing. And I will always encourage you because even during that process, I remember like going to the doctors, like everybody knew about can't stay put. So anytime my dad had a chance to tell somebody about what I was doing, he told them. Right. So it wasn't like he was very, very proud. So he wasn't trying to tell you to to dampen you know, what no, no, you're no, no, no. dampen your your light it at was all. Just more of like right his, now his, in this season, right? I need you to recognize that this is a thirty plus year business. That as your father, if I'm no longer here, I want to make sure this is something that can provide for my kids because I'm no longer here. Right. So I feel like that there's a a moment I kind of want to kind of take from there. So, you know, now you are in the thick of it, right? Mm -hmm. You are now making like a conscious effort to essentially continue that legacy, Mm -hmm. right? While building your own, Mm -hmm. right? So almost kind of like a tree of sorts, Mm -hmm. right? So it's kind of like, hey, this is the the base. Mm -hmm. And now you're realizing that you can align it so that you are still able to do your own thing, right? Mm-hmm. Because serial entrepreneurship is not uncommon. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. So how do you, like, how do you kind of look at the importance or, like, the knowledge transfer that you received mm-hmm. to kind of help you do what you are now doing today? Well, uh, you know, I think 
again, when you're in your twenties, you think you know everything. I feel like at every age, until maybe like thirty something, you're like, okay, yeah, I don't really know much about much. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you know, from sixteen to eighteen and twenty-five, like you think you know everything. And so there were moments where it's like, I didn't really realize like I am dealing with somebody who's been in business for thirty plus years. Right. And when you think about it from a teacher student, it's like you need to sit here and listen. You know what I mean? It's like you want to be in entrepreneurship, yet you got this gym who is your father um, right here. And so going through that process, as hard as it was, I know so much more on this side. Right. So whether, you know, I apply that to Kansas State Put or my other business endeavors, I'm way more equipped than I was prior to going through this situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's very interesting. Right. So I guess what I want to also kind of get into is that like, what was the, like, do you have anything in particular, anything uh, practical that you know that you were able to acquire from working from your, your at Miller three mm-hmm. to now putting it to LR Miller and co. Mm-hmm. Um, just being confident in doing business and understanding that we're in business. And so one of the things that my father used to say is like, we're in business to make money. Right. You know what I mean? I think sometimes we kind of think about like, you know, I'm providing a service and I'm charging, but it's just like, you're not trying to do bare minimum. I'm not just trying to cover my bills. Like you're in business to make money. Right. You know what I mean? So yes. always constantly remind yourself that whether you need to tax times about five or whatever, like yeah. we're not in here. This is not a nine to five type of situation. And I'm not knocking that, but it's like just reminding yourself um, that, yeah, you in business. <laughs> you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Um, but also I think beyond that is just, you know, my dad had a lot of isms and we call them like Millerisms. <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, every, every, everyone has that one person where, you know, they have, they'll pull gems out out of nowhere. Yeah, that is like you, there is no, there was never any small talk with my father that, that just don't, doesn't exist. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Either you're going to get a history lesson, you're going to get some isms, we're going to go down what your dreams and aspirations are. But you're not, it's not going to be like, oh, this basketball team, that's just not. So it's never going to lack intention. Exactly. Right? Ever. So, so there always will be a meaning behind it. But I know if you were like me, right, sometimes you, you just didn't want to hear it, right? Oh, or, or listen. You're, you're preoccupied. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that I always talk about is like, you know, with my father's isms, he in the end would tell stories over and over again or reiterate things. And I just like, you know, I already heard the story. Like I noticed, but like now that I'm on this side, he's no longer physically here. He was doing that such that when I come across challenges or I come across things, I automatically know what he would say. Right. You know what I mean? And so one of the most beautiful things that still, you know, will always touch my heart is how much intention he had. Right. You know what I mean? Because when he said, I need to get you and your siblings prepared for me not to be here, that's beyond just financial. It's like, your what are the, our principles? What are the lessons? Because, you know, my kids won't know my dad from a physical standpoint. Right. But if they know me, they're going to know him. Right. You know what I mean? And so um, that transfer of knowledge is really the legacy piece, right? Because I think we talk about generational wealth and generational legacy, but legacy and wealth is not the same thing to me. You know what I mean? And so the legacy is, you know, how you raise your kids. How do you continue to build on that wealth? It's not enough to just say, hey, you're my kid. Here's this. If you never nurtured them, 
to know how to continue that. If you never gave them the principles that you want to pass down in your family, like what's the brand? Right. You know what I mean? Um, and so as I think about how I navigate in entrepreneurship, I think one of the most um, monumental things I got to see was like how committed my dad was to his legacy and his mission to the very end. Understood. You know what I mean? And yeah. seeing somebody be as uncomfortable dealing with a disease, but still be working. Right. You right. know what I mean? And, then, and that's a, a very powerful imagery. Right. Know, like, and to, because that kind of shows you that what you think or what you might think is like the end of the world in that moment, right? It's just a blip, mm-hmm. right? But you have to still power through mm-hmm. because when you are in a place of intentionality that you're on doing this for yourself or mm-hmm. for your family or mm-hmm. for whoever, mm-hmm. you know, that the show must truly go on. Exactly. And that's, you know, really what it was. And, you know, we didn't necessarily talk about the nature of my father's work and what he did, but just to kind of touch on it a little bit, my father was a pioneer in the space of MWB participation in government contracting. My father created the first small business program at the city of Atlanta that many cities across the nation model after. So I wouldn't say it's direct, but any black person that's ever won a government contract, a part of my father's legacy is attached to that. Wow. And so that's on a national level, right? Yeah. And so my father was the youngest and the first black director of procurement for the city of Atlanta under the first black mayor. And so after that, he started his business and created the disparity study industry, which, you know, has been around for 30 plus years. And so there's so much history and um, just history and intention around, you know, how can I improve my people's economic standing? Right. And that came from him growing up on a farm and seeing the benefit of owning and farming your own land right. and not needing to interact with others, you know, for your, you know, to get to where you want to go. And so, although, like you said, it's like, although he didn't choose farming as his thing, right? right, He still took those same principles and knowledge and applied it to what he wanted to do, which is, as I look at me, it's like, it's the same type of thing. But even with what my father did, his his work still overlapped with the farming and the agriculture business too. Right. So it was like, there's a way, like we were talking about the alignment. So yeah. it's like, you know, when you're trying to carve out or like with me, I'm trying to carve out, you know, what my, uh, my legacy is and, you know, my business endeavors, but it's also linking that back to how can I exponentially grow this, this business that I inherited, you know what I mean? For yeah. that's something that me and my brother are both, you know, working through as well. Um, but you see when you kind of see how the generations have connected, it's just like it's not saying that you have to totally do what was bestowed upon you. But it's like, OK, how do you elevate that? How do you make it your own? Um, but still knowing that you always have this inherited responsibility. You always got this baton. You right. can't drop it. All right. I understand. So what I want to do is that I want people to be able to take a moment to really kind of like digest a lot because like, we got a lot in, in this yeah. first half. Right. So what I want to do is I want to take a quick break so we can learn a little bit more about how Piedmont Business Capital is helping out the triad and different companies within North Carolina. Let's take a moment. 
My name is Brittany Robertson, uh, CEO and Agency Director of Home Again Senior Living Communities. Home Again Senior Living Communities was established back in 2017 with the mission of serving senior citizens with home care services. Our services range from housekeeping, of course, personal care assistance with bathing and dressing, uh, transportation, meal preparation, you name it. But our goal is to make sure that seniors are able to stay at home for as long as possible and as safely as possible. Um, as a small business here in the triad, we were working diligently to grow our clients, um, to grow our business, and we were doing very well. Um, but when COVID hit, it really took a toll on our ability to continue expanding our services, as well as reaching the clients here in the triad that need our help. In facing COVID-19, our small business, where we are, well, we obtain our business by meeting people and having conversations with people about their needs was really a challenge in that we were unable to do that uh, for safety reasons and restrictions. So that took a toll on our business um, as it relate to as it relates to employees as well as our um, our clients. Through my participation with Forsyth Tech Small Business Center, I was notified about the opportunity with Piedmont uh, Business Capital um, and their support and um, help to small businesses here in the triad. Obtaining assistance through um, Piedmont Business Capital was very smooth for our agency. Uh, we were able to apply online and walk through the process with their um, personnel and they made it very easy for us in that we were able to express what our needs were and how we were going to utilize those funds. Um, and then they gave us a set of, I would say, resources uh, throughout even even more so than the, the loan opportunity, but resources to continue business development um, as well as um, service development through our agency. Receiving the funds that Piedmont Business Capital made available to our agency um, meant for me, I could focus on what really matters to my clients. So I was able to refocus my energy to better serving um, my clients as well as my associates. I was able to uh, make sure that everything still ran as if COVID was not even in existence. So I appreciate being able to um, have not had that burden of whether or not our agency was going to have to close the doors tomorrow or next week or next month. Um, those funds really allowed me to stay focused on what really matters, which is our clients and our associates. To Piedmont Business Capital, I would like to say thank you so much for, number one, your courage and your um, just immediate response in a time of crisis to those of, of us who are small business owners um, providing a service to our, our, our clients. We were able to continue doing that um, that thing, that task, that business, uh, because of your your response and how much you care about making sure our businesses thrive in emergency situations. So again, thank you. So we're back. And that was just a few words, just to kind of show how Piedmont Business Capital helps out the community in the triad and the rest of North Carolina. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna wrap up our conversation here with Ms. Lauren Miller. All right. And with the first half, we really kind of talk about foundation and about building legacy and essentially planting seeds and how essentially for her, like 
her interaction with the her rich family history in agriculture and then her father's uh essentially the transfer of knowledge of what he built in order to pass on to her and her siblings right now we're going to kind of pivot and kind of talk about the now right mm-hmm. so with the whole thing about uh you know flatten the curve we're really kind of talking about like how do we prepare ourselves as a community to try not to have this happen again right mm-hmm. of course you know that's a blanket statement right mm-hmm. that's more of just a sense that as long as it's not as bad as the previous time mm-hmm. that's better mm-hmm. if that makes sense mm-hmm. so you know when when looking at uh how legacy has essentially influenced you mm-hmm. right you don't have the same mindset when it comes to building and looking out towards mm-hmm. the future mm-hmm. so kind of like walk us through like how that kind of affects and move forward. Yeah, so I think, you know, once you get real clear about what legacy really means and, you know, really building something that lives beyond your lifetime, you start to realize that, you know, you're not on a five-year plan. You have, you know, incremental things that you want to hit off, but it's like, I'm on a 70, I'm on a lifetime plan. And some of my plans are 150 years beyond my lifetime. You know what I mean? So what I um, am very grateful for from going through that experience with my father is I'm at peace with my speed. Mm. You know what I mean? I'm okay with the rate in which I'm moving because I'm no longer comparing what I'm doing to my everyday peer. Right. You know what I mean? And so when you... Uh, when you accept that you are committed to building multi-generational legacy, multi-generational wealth, people who are not on that no longer bother you. Right. It's just like, I'm, that's not what I'm on. Right. And it's okay. And I think, you know, being a millennial, being the microwave generation, you know, coming out, you know, when, uh, coming out of college when we did is like, we've been groomed to focus on the now, now, now. Right. You know what I mean? That's, that's what society has kind of fed us. You know what I mean? Anything that we want, we're, you know, we can have it at our fingertips, but that's the opposite of legacy. You know, that, that, that thinking will make you quit. You know what I mean? Or be like, ah, it ain't worth it. You know what I mean? So how would you suggest, I guess, starting like the steps to converting your mindset, right? Mm -hmm. Into that space, right? Because, I'm sure we have our moments where we millennials going to millennial, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, where you're super eager, right? Mm-hmm. You wanted it, you wanted it done yesterday, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, we're at a place where, you know, there's, you know, senses of entitlement right. in terms of like what you believe that you should be able to accomplish. Right. And at a certain time. Yeah, so like- how do you, how do you find yourself? Because not everyone has a... A pivotal moment like you had. Right, exactly. In order to be able to get into alignment. Right. And I think, you know, I'll be clear it's like, it's delayed gratification. Building legacy doesn't mean you don't get any gratification, right? So it's it's just delayed, right? And so as an example, it's just like, okay, you may want the new X6 BMW, right? And it may, you know, be a $1,200 a month, you know, payout, you know, with your insurance, but it's like, okay, if I'm building wealth or it's about legacy, it's like, okay, how can I acquire an asset that pays me out $1,200 a month to cover 
this X6. Now, you may be able to afford to get the X6 today, right. but it's just like, does that make sense for you? Or does it make sense that like, oh, you know, what? I may have to wait two years because let me go buy a property that's going to pay me right. my monthly bill for this X6. So it's not like you, you won't ever get the gratification. Right. It's just delayed. Right. right. And so I think in terms of the mindset, you really have to get clear on like what it is that you want for your family. Right. And I think for black people, like we see is like, you know, the wealth gap is astronomical. You know what I mean? Right. And and let's be clear that there are reasons for that that have nothing to do with us. Right. You know what I mean? But at the same time, if you know that you want more for your family, what are you willing to do? If you know that, you know, you find yourself, well, I ain't, I ain't come from nothing. I'm the first. It's like you want your kids to say that, too. Fair. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it was like, okay, like you feel away as you should, but it's just like, okay, but what you doing about it? Right. And so I think that is really like the thing that you kind of have to dive into. And I will say when I was attending Wake Forest, one of our professors, Wake Forest Business School, one of our professors had us write out our, our eulogy obituary, right? I'm 22. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, what is this? But <laughs> the thought was, if you know what you want to be remembered for, you know what you need to be doing today. Right. Right. So it's kind of like reverse engineering. Right. Exactly. And uh, yeah. So I guess the way I'm kind of looking at it is that there's a sense of a call to action to essentially acquire wealth. Right. Mm -hmm. To build wealth. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that's kind of seen through entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. uh, but Everyone does not necessarily want to be right. an entrepreneur. Right. So I think it, it doesn't need to be entrepreneurship. It's ownership. Ownership does not only come through entrepreneurship. Right. So I think that is just a word change mm -hmm. in this conversation is, is really ownership and equity. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be no entrepreneur. So that's very interesting. So it seems that you know, we're having a call to action now, right? Mm -hmm. Where that, that seems to be only can be answered through entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. right? That, you know, in order to build wealth, in order to leave something out there for your family to go from generation to generation, like you have to be able to build something on your own. Mm -hmm. So how, for the people who may not necessarily want to be in that space, mm -hmm. like how do you, how do they kind of fit into this puzzle? So I think there's just a slight, word change, right? So it's ownership. It's not necessarily entrepreneurship, okay. right? And so to your point, right? So you, you have people that may, you know, corporate is for them. You know what I mean? And we need to be in that space too. Yeah. But okay, what the mindset needs to be is like, okay, are you an angel investor? Okay. Are you building black startups? Are you investing in that? Right. And do you have equity in that? Because oftentimes this is not everybody, but oftentimes when you do take a more traditional role, you know, nine to five or whatever, you know, you you get paid, you get a lot of money, you move out to the suburbs, you get the cars, you get the house, you know, all of those things, um, because those are the fruits of your labor. But when you think about generational wealth and you think about generational legacy for your nuclear family and for the community at whole, you have responsibility. One of the reasons why there are not a lot of successful black owned businesses is because we have a lack of resources. Right. 
but there's a significant amount of us that are making good money. Right. You know what I mean? So when you think about, you know, um, the wealthy, like, you know, I know a lot of people was like, you know, how much cash on hand they have? Probably not much because all their money is tied up. Right. So, yeah, they're, they're you know what basically I mean? there are things that don't necessarily gain value. Exactly. So it's like, you know, entrepreneurship is not for everybody. Right. It ain't for most people. You know what I mean? It ain't right. even for a lot of people that are in it, right, right. <laughs> to be so, honest. But yeah, I think it's more so like, but I do believe there is power in creating something that is an extension of who you are right. and being able to generate income from it. Right. So I, so I, it seems like that there has to be a very clear difference, you know, difference between entrepreneurship and ownership, oh. right? Because technically you do not like it's the same way that if you had stocks, like that is technically a sense of ownership, yep. right? You are not a stockbroker, that right. which is essentially what the role is. But exactly. Okay. So I, I feel like that is something that probably needs to be reiterated, like right. often, because again, on, at least the entrepreneurship side, right, is the new fad per se, right? right. And in a sense that it's always been around, but mm-hmm. it's now be, become sexy. In the right. Sense. I mean, and it ain't sexy, but <laughs> but I think you know that's a a great. It's a good thing that people are catching on and wanting wanting to be entrepreneurs, you know, because like I said, there's there's power in ownership. And so if entrepreneurship is not your thing, that's okay. It goes back to like you said, stocks, having equity in, in companies, because I think, you know, it's oftentimes when, you know, people are, you know, nine to five and they climb the ladder, they make a lot of money, that impact is only affecting their nuclear family but not anybody outside of their household. Okay. And so that's where the legacy part comes in. Like your impact beyond just your kids and whatever. But even within that is like, but how are you even nurturing your kids to understand what you're passing down, whether it is wealth and, you know, and legacy. And so I think when we think about entrepreneurship, like you said, it ain't for everybody, but it's like, once you got some disposable income, it's a lot of, Black folks that got a lot of money in their savings right. ain't doing nothing with it. And it's, you know, they're getting 0.001%. And then and you have all of these amazingly smart black and brown people launching these businesses strapped for cash, mm-hmm. right? That are strapped for cash. Right. And then if they had, a, they it, had a person who right. necessarily was apt or, you know, kind of, I don't say intelligent, but just kind of like has the, the understanding right. of like how that they can potentially invest their money. Take exactly. A chance exactly. And that's the thing is like, you know, you know, through all of this and, you know, grace is probably one of my favorite words, but like where everybody is within our community, there just has to be grace extended. Right. Because there's a reason why we don't want to take no risk because we see how society has been is like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, so you want to make sure you're taking care of things. So, um, but I think a part of this, like you mentioned is the mindset piece, right. And understanding that when you see people like Larry page and, you know, uh, Tesla guy, and you think about all of these major, you know, who invested money early in and Uber and all that kind of stuff, like, and what they're able to do now, or even like one of my favorite, um, 
entrepreneurs is Richard Branson. Like it's to the point where like whatever idea he want to do, he can do whatever. He can just try stuff at right. this point. But the other thing is that they've established enough where they probably don't have to use their own money, yeah. their own resources. And that's the thing. <laughs> the, the more wealthy you are, the more of other people's money you use. Wow. Yeah. They don't use their own money. Right. But at the same time, at some point, they've invested. They, they know the, you know the game. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? And that's how you. And so I think for a lot of us, it's like we need to learn the game and also realize that we all play different roles. Mm-hmm. And it is okay. Yes. Everybody doesn't need to be an entrepreneur. Everybody doesn't need to be a politician. Everybody doesn't need to have a nine to five. But we all play different roles, right? So when you think about it from a community standpoint, what is your role? in this right. and being okay with your role is like okay and not feeling bad that this person over there doing that that ain't your role right. it's okay and don't feel bad yeah. but it's like what is your role got it in this so there has to be a, almost like a sense of selflessness right you mm-hmm. you have to yes secure yourself secure your nuclear family your you know your basically your inner closer circle circle mm-hmm. but in order for us to move forward as a community there has to be a lasting impact that you can try to provide to the greater good, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when it comes to, you know, providing that impact outside of your, your nuclear base, mm-hmm. right? How, how do you see yourself kind of trying to provide that? Mm-hmm. Right. But understanding that, I mean, like you're very aware, right? You're mm-hmm. aware of what you, where you've come from mm-hmm. in that, a lot of other people that you try to affect or try to influence or try to provide value to may not come from those same circumstances. Mm-hmm. So how do you navigate that while, you know, still trying to, you know, build your own legacy, secure mm-hmm. your own legacy? So, you know, I think, you know, there's the inherited responsibility that comes from, you know, my family's history and, in the legacy and all that kind of stuff. But there's also an inherent responsibility that I have to my community, right? And so oftentimes my dad would tell me, Lauren, we're no better than anybody else. We're just different. We have to use that difference to help people that look like us, right? And so because I went through that experience of succession planning and like, you know, the transfer of knowledge and all that kind of stuff, like I got a story to tell, mm. you know what I mean? And so for me, it's not me being a recluse and like, okay, we went through that and being hush-hush about it, Right. Because that's another thing. A lot of times people retreat. Mm. So if we think about, you know, my alma mater, Howard, been around since 1867, which means there have been black people getting educated since 1867. So it's some seventh generation college educated folks out here. Mm. I don't know. them. You know what I mean? But they exist. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so not to say that education is the end all be all. But when you've been exposed to more, I feel like you have a responsibility to level the playing field. And so a part of what my role is, is to make sure that, you know, I am a storyteller. Mm-hmm. I am a communicator. Um, I know how to uh, reach and, and communicate to millennials. That's one of my gifts. You know what I mean? And so how am I using that is sharing these stories and amplifying them and almost really inspiring the possibility of more. Right. right. And so for me, there is sometimes I feel the weight of like, I won't say I feel bad, but it's just like, I know so much. And then like constantly every single day, it's like, I'm just trying to share with as many people as possible because I feel a way 
that I was blessed to know all of this or I was blessed to come from this, but the person over here wasn't. So it's like, why me? And so there are moments where it's just like, or why only you? Right, or right, why only me? So it's just like, you know, there are moments where it's like, I'm totally just like, I just got to share everything. But it's just like, okay, Lauren, you still have a role. Like you still, you know, you have your dreams and your endeavors and all that kind of stuff. And it's interesting because I went to this, um, this tech event in New York and it was like a fundraising event. And this white woman said, she was like, you know, one of the things I, I feel for black founders is because y'all also carry the weight of having to bring people with you. We don't care. That's not, that's not a concern. We don't have to create events to talk about, you know, sharing stuff or how you raise money. Like we're just zeroed in mm-hmm. on building our business and that's that. Right. You know what I mean? And so when she said that, I was just like, damn, you know, yeah. th- that's a true statement. And so we have backpacks with a couple bricks in them right. where some people ain't got no backpack at all. They can just go up the mountain. Right. You know what I mean? Because they know other people around are able to go up the mountain as well. Um, but I think for me, as I navigate my legacy, it is with intention getting more millennials on board to be committed to building their legacy, but also being committed to learning who they are, right? A lot of us don't even know our family history. So a lot of people may think they're the first, but they really aren't in some instances. So you may be the first, you know, to go to college or whatever, but you might not be the first business owner. Do you know everybody in your family, your great aunt, your great grandfather? You probably don't. A lot of people don't. You know what I mean? And so there is power in knowing where you come from, because also you don't even know what curses to break if you don't know your history. Right. You don't know, you know, you don't even know what you're up against or you don't even know what dreams were deferred or where, how far, you know, your family has come. Exactly. And that is what gives you the power to do what you do. Right. So it's like, so for me, it's, yeah, everybody doesn't come from the same type of background as me. That's fair statement. But I guarantee we, we are a very resilient people. Exactly. And that resiliency can be found in, in every single family. You have to identify it, right? Mm-hmm. And figure out where it is or, you know, figure out what were the hardships. Because I think another part is like we have been kind of groomed to be external versus internal in the sense of like, if you could say like, do all of your cousins and family members know exactly what you do? No. So if anybody wanted to start a business or create content, would they even know that you're a part of the family that they can just call you? Not exactly, no. So think about that. Yeah. You out here trying to get all these other people to be your clients, which is what you're in business to do. Right. But when you think about it from a family legacy standpoint, it's like, who in your family even really know what you do? Yeah. And so that's why that inward intention has to be there. Like family is a very strong thing. There really isn't generational legacy or generational wealth without family. It doesn't have to be the traditional like kid because everybody don't want to have kids. It could be your your niece, your nephew, your distant cousin, whatever. But we have to turn inward. You can take what's external. You can go get, you know, the Ivy League education. You can go get the PW. You know, you can go get, you know, the corner office experience. But okay, let's come back inward. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like. 
anybody ever wants to get a passport, my family should know they could call me. Exactly. Right. Anybody want to create content or thinks about YouTube or thinks about, you know, anything, they should know that you are to go to. And have you done your due diligence to let people know that that's who you are, but you've done that to get clients that don't know you. Okay. I feel seen here. Nah, but that's, I mean, that's, that's, and that's so, real. That, right. That's, that's and that real. has nothing to do with you inheriting or your, that's just right. simple. Right. You know what I mean? So a lot of this are a lot of what my purpose is, is to spark these thoughts mm-hmm. to give people like, Oh, I didn't think about it like that. You know what I mean? Because again, me recognizing my gift, I'm able to analyze and process information very well and share it in a way that people can digest it around these certain topics. And so, you know, that's why for me, I'm going to continue to amplify my story and continue to tell these stories and really like dig deep. Like, let's really think about this. You know what I mean? Like, um, so yeah, (laughs) I know that was a lot, but I mean, uh, man. There's not enough time. I know. There's it's no, never enough time. never enough time. All right. But I want to thank you, you know, again, for, you know, taking the time out, you know, to come in and like really kind of share, like, like share it so much. I right? know. Like, I know this is going to be one of those, like, you're, you're going to be glad that you can watch this on demand and you can replay yeah, it. Yeah, it's going to round it back because there's some gems up in here. Yeah, right, for sure. I already, I already know, like, you know, we're going to have to, you know, get this, you know, suited up to get it out to the people, but I will be writing notes down because, you know, there's, there's no, no waste, right? There's no, like every single moment that you, you kind of move and kind of speak, like there is a way to connect it to something else or mm-hmm. something else. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, thank you, mm-hmm. right? Can you let everyone know like where they can learn more about you? Kind of you know keep following you because like I know if I know that would be a complete disservice if I don't. Yes, of course. So on Instagram, um, Lauren Miller. My website, LaurenRosaMiller.com. Family Business is Miller3Group.com. Um, Facebook, you know, but I would say Instagram and my website are the best places to find me. I would say to stay tuned. I have a lot of things that I'm bringing to my platform that's revolving around this conversation, this narrative. Um, but yeah, you know, that's, that's how you can keep up with me. Awesome. All right, guys. So that's all we really have here for today when it comes to building a legacy, right? And how that kind of relates to flattening the curve and strengthening the black dollar. Again, I'm EA Green. Thank you for tuning in. See you next time.